Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule. Thank you for listening. I'm Hayley McQueen in the hot seat yet again. No Kate Borsay. But joining us today, we have our regular Lindsay Hooper, who we'll get to in just a moment. But let's first introduce our special guest of the day, Mina Rizuki. Hi there, Mina. Hello. So glad to be on. How are you? Yeah, very, very well. Thank you, Kate. Oh, I'm following her on Instagram, of course, and she's running around France uh, along the river tucking into baguettes on a daily basis, hot pan au chocolat washed down with delicious <laughs> chocolate and, and views of the, the mountains and the gorgeous scenery, whereas I'm looking out the window onto what could be rain, possibly sneet, uh, sleet, I should say, and maybe even snow a little bit later on. Uh, welcome to spring, everyone, in, in, in the UK. Um, constantly on the move, aren't we? Lindsay Hooper, we've got you on Zoom today. We can see you. You can. But, but you might be on your merry travels just after this podcast, I believe. Yes, I've got to then go to West Ham. They're in European action this week. Huge, huge tie for them. So I'm doing a preview around that. Um, so I will be back in my car again. Believe it or not, from where I am, even though I am a London reporter and West Ham is clearly on my patch because it's in East London, it's a two-hour trip sometimes. Oh, That's four what? hours round trip from where I live yeah it's just the other side of London and so often in my head I think I could have got to Birmingham and my family are up that way a little bit further on um so yeah it's one that I have to get my head around when I do the trip to West Ham oh gosh oh my god two hours yeah Mm. that is you could just go a bit early and go to um Stratford and then maybe head to Westfield do a bit of shopping we can't all get new fancy tops, Hayley. I'm in a fancy new top today, everyone. <laughs> Basically, I'm sitting here in a floral frilly shirt, which looks slightly nicer when it's stood up with a full outfit. It looks lovely right now. It does. Thanks. I bought this a year and a half ago, and I'm only managing to finally wear it because I bought it thinking, oh, that's beautiful. I'll wear that all summer on my merry travels and my holidays. Yeah, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> in fact, speaking of West Ham, actually, we've got Slavin Bilic in the studio on Thursday. I've got him in for a football show special, so I'm very much looking forward to having him in on Sky Sports News. I don't get out much, Mina, but you're a very busy lady. Tell us what's happening in your life with regards to work. Well, to be honest with you, it was a lot more exciting when, um, well, I was working with ESPN and we were covering Serie A. So I was out every weekend Mm. almost um, covering the matches. And then Corona happened, coronavirus happened. And then that started to go down slowly. And now most of the broadcasters I work with are like, you know what, you can just do it from home. So don't worry, you know. And And I was just telling Lindsay now, just before the show, I feel like... I'm just stuck at home doing shows now and I'm not doing enough reporting because I'm European football and not many Mm. people now are sending out, um, you know, sending you out to go to these matches. So a lot of the time it's like, don't worry, just give us your take from the comfort of your own home. So the most fun and the most action I had was actually Euro 2020. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) pretty much until then, I've been like, you know, just sitting on my little pillow telling you all about what's happening around the world. That sounds about ah. like my life. It was from, from 
the bedroom that I'm recording in to the seat on Sky Sports News. And, and, and that was about it from studio to home, studio to home with the odd nursery drop off and uh, a cup of hot coffee sitting outside uh, a derelict building site opposite the nursery, which was the only peace and quiet I got. Anyway, you were at Selhurst Park on Monday night, weren't you, Lindsay? My gosh, what a game. Mm. Luckily, because my other half isn't into football, Mina, believe it or not, he let me watch the Monday night football. That's my thing. Super Sunday, he quite often works. He lets me dip in and out of that. On a Monday night, the TV is well and truly mine. So I watched this. I absolutely loved it. Loved having Wayne Rooney on Sky Sports. That sort of fed our programming for the week on Sky Sports News. So <laughs> thanks for that. But my goodness, Lindsay, you predicted a Palace win on last week's podcast. I did. Look, Wow. The biggest, the biggest and best experts we have on the Offside Rule podcast. <laughs> I don't get it right all the time, though. But I think we should go to town when I do. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw this coming. I think it was a, a few different factors, actually, Mina, with this one, when, I, when we were chatting last week. Um, I felt that, obviously, there's a, a more attacking style, a higher press that Patrick Vieira's instilled into, into Palace. And I saw them against Everton, and I thought... And I didn't know that Elise was definitely going to be out for this one. But I thought with Elise and Conor Gallagher, Zahar, uh, maybe Mateta as well, you've got this four that looked lethal. So that gave me encouragement. But I think it was also that I felt there were a few players coming back from their first international call-ups with England, like Mark Gay or, or Conor Gallagher. And I just felt that they would be going back into the team, breathing this new fresh, fresh life into it. Um, so that's why I predicted a Palace win. But I, what I will say, Hayley, is I didn't see this sort of performance coming where I think if you weigh up the two, I think Arsenal was so slow and limp to start with, um, maybe a bit of nerves creeping in there as well, um, that they really didn't get going. Whereas Palace from the off were in their faces, mm. pressing mm. every ball. And a player like Conor Gallagher, I think you can really see how much he's going to be valuable to hang on to because he sets the tone yeah. and I don't know whether you thought this it's always been about Zahar in the past but I think he's he's one of those players like a few others that are taking that burden off him but also setting the standard and that's how everyone else around him is then performing their high pressing to them matching his work rate and it's to great effect can I ask a question because when it comes to Crystal Palace the one issue that I had with them was that they played this beautiful style of football but they weren't they had this failure to, to not be cl very clinical at the end. But mm. they've started to make that count. They've started mm. to score those goals. So how what has changed in the last few games where now all of a sudden they've gone from being the side that just create really quality chances but don't convert as well? Is that because there is a little bit more confidence in the team? I think it's competition, actually, competition for places, because once mm. upon a time, Ben Teke was just it, wasn't he? He was mm. their out-and-out -out option, mm. and now he's on the bench, and even he has raised his standards. I've actually seen a few more goals from him in the last season and a half than, than the prior two or three. Um, it doesn't have to be that you've got a striker that will score you 20-plus goals a season. What I think Crystal Palace are proving is if you've got three strikers that can score you 10 plus, then you yes have enough. the competition and you can rotate. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good point. I was quite surprised that uh, Mikel Arteta was handed the Manager of the Month award anyway. And then curse of the Manager of the Month, wasn't he? <laughs> he goes and suffers a terrible defeat. I voted for Tuchel on that. I don't know how Mikel Arteta won it, but he did. But that's a story for another day. Um, right. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening for now. We've got plenty to come up on the show, but... 
there's not just our podcast because you can follow us as well. We have news updates and stories on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and many articles as well and plenty on uh, the women's game too. OffsideRulePodcast.com. There's some excellent features there. Uh, coming up on the show, the World Cup draw. We're going to discuss in detail. Sorry, Mina. Uh, Brighton, they just can't score, can they? But is it the fans' fault? According to Graham Potter, it might be. Ooh, controversial. But first, it's Manchester City versus Liverpool on Sunday. So let us talk about Pep versus Klopp. My goodness, ladies, it is the biggest game of the Premier League season. It takes place this Sunday, 4.30. What a super Sunday we have. I tell you what, it's a big weekend of sport, isn't it? We've got the Grand National. We've got Formula One. We've got the Masters with Tiger Woods in action. But I think this trumps them all, doesn't it? Well, maybe, maybe Tiger Woods' comeback, everyone will be watching late into the evening, but this is sandwiched in between. I am going to be glued to my sofa. My poor child is going to be fed snacks, chocolate, and thrown <laughs> every sticker book and, and tin of paint I can possibly find to keep her entertained because I am going to be glued to my screens. I'm going to be heading up to Manchester, actually, on Friday. Sky Sports are taking a few programmes up to Manchester. We're broadcasting live from the Etihad with a couple of interviews that we've been granted. We had an exclusive exclusive um, at length interview with Pep Guardiola, which will run in on one of our shows on Sunday morning. And I have got Danny Mills and Stuart Downing joining me on Friday morning. So that's going to be definitely a lot of fun. And as a Manchester United fan, it's like, who do I want to win this one? If it's a draw, that's fine. But then, oh, who do I want to win the league? Will it be Liverpool? But no, because of course, we know how many titles at Manchester United have won. And when you look at Liverpool, we don't want them, you know, surpassing that, catching up and then doing one better. But then there's Manchester City, those noisy neighbours who are just far superior to Manchester United. And they are the biggest team in Manchester right now. Oh, I've said it. I have. But it's it's such a hard one as a Manchester United fan. Um, the last four Premier League titles have all been won by either City or Liverpool. Um, who would you rather play for, Mina? Pep or Klopp? Ooh, what a question. That is such an interesting question because obviously they're so they're they're so different but so brilliant at the same time. Mm. Here's the thing. Um I understand Klopp's football a lot more than I understand Pep's. Um so I probably want to play for him just because I want to see how he breathes and and explains it to me. And I also want to see if there's any weaknesses to it if that makes sense. <laughs> um but I'm a lot more of a of a Klopp fan than I am a Pep fan. So that's perhaps okay. why I would want to play for Pep just to just to get a feel for it. But the only thing is is that as a player, I feel like I'm always scared to buy a player who's played for for Klopp. Like at Borussia Dortmund, they'd be like stunning underneath him, you know, playing the most exquisite football on their life and then they move on and you're kind of like, uh, they're a bit average, you know. <laughs> And then you, you see in Liverpool that he's taken this team, and, and of course there are superstars within that, that team, but there are a lot of players there that perhaps wouldn't have been first choice for many other clubs. And he has really managed to extract mm. the full potential of their, you know, and full quality to make them look like they are world beaters. Whereas I would argue that with Pep, you know, you probably would go on and still do the same level and, and produce the same level of football. You wouldn't think that. But I feel like Klopp is a defining factor. Like, he really does manage to transform you into mm. what I think is, like, astonishingly good. 
So perhaps my fear is, is that if I left Glom, I'd just be a dunt. I don't know. <laughs> Purely out of greed, I think I'd have to say that I would also go with Klopp. And that's that's only because... I would want to play as much football as possible. If I was a professional, I'd want every minute going to be able to think that I could I could be on the pitch playing. And mm. I think that the rotation that Pep has, and it doesn't matter how good a player you are. We saw against Atletico yeah. Madrid, Grealish and Foden on the bench. They had to come off the bench to, to get those minutes. And they're such good players. They're not guaranteed that time. And I just wouldn't like that. I just want, if I was that good, and I'm going to pretend in this instance, Mina and Haley, that I am, <laughs> then I want to be playing as much as possible. And I think if you're a Salah, if you're a, if you're a, Henderson at the moment, uh, Van Dyke. You know that you're getting regular mm. game time under Klopp, and mm. he he puts that trust in you. And I think I I would just get a little bit upset by Pep if he mm. kept leaving me out occasionally. Yeah, and I think as 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 Charlie, our producer, has has sort of mentioned in in our pre production notes. I think Klopp seems as if he'd show you that little bit more love. I think I'd feel more loved under Klopp. I think if you peed. Pep Guardiola off you'd kind of know about it and that would be you out there'd be no going back whereas with Klopp I think you could have a bit of an argument or you could have a bit of tete for tete and it would all be okay and there'd be a big bear hug at the end of it and you'd feel that love okay would you not feel that if you were playing for Pep that you would have so many instructions in your head and you'd be so determined to like prove yourself to him that you might not really ever show your quality in the same way that you would if someone goes out there and says, just do what you can and do it with love. And like, that's how I imagine Klopp says it, you know? Yes, yeah. <laughs> but the, the only thing I would say is that I think Pep has got some incredible, consistent performers. True. I look at João Cancelo and I look at Rodri. We might all be distracted by the two attacks and we might be looking at, is Foden going to start? Is De Bruyne going to keep scoring? Is Mane going to get amongst them? Is it going to be Salah? I think we should be looking at the battles further back. And I think it could be a Rodri, a Cancelo yeah. that make the difference in this game. And, and whether... Canate has another really good match for Liverpool. It could come down to those sorts of players and we need to stop being um, like magpies looking for the sparkly ones all the time. <laughs> it's quite interesting though, isn't it, as well, that, that this season you've got Klopp, I know, has won the Champions League. Pep hasn't with Manchester City. Pep has won a domestic treble, which is what Klopp is now after. What do you think is more important? Liverpool trying to win the Champions League again? Or do you think, I know for Manchester City winning the Champions League is more important than Liverpool winning the Champions League. I think League, Liverpool but... more want the, the Premier League title because when they won it, it was in lockdown and they didn't get to celebrate it in the proper fashion. True. And I think there will always be that little asterisk next to their name. Mm. When you look at Premier League winners, it will be, oh, COVID affected. And... I, I honestly sense that Liverpool to overtake City now and to go on and win would mean more to them than getting another European title. I wonder if that's a European like difference in culture because if someone ever says to, I don't know, Real Madrid or Juventus or a Bayern Munich, you know, how do you feel about winning the your domestic league or winning the Champions League? There's just you always care so much more about being the winner of all the champions of Europe than you are of being the winner of your own domestic league. And and for us, it's very much judged on, you know, like as in, in Italy, certainly you're only a very good coach if you've managed to at least win or get to the final of a Champions League. 
anything below that if you you're basically just a failure <laughs> so I, I know that it seems like obviously because the Premier League has been so difficult to get um, for Liverpool for so long, I can imagine that being something. But surely winning over all of Europe and all the brilliance and difference in tactics and the different types of opponents that you face, surely that's a much better task and a bigger task to accomplish. Well, I would argue that it's harder to win the Premier League over the course of a whole season than it is to win the Champions League, actually. But Maybe that's just the difference in in the leagues as well. I mean, the Premier League, we're, we're always bleating on, aren't we, that it's the best product out there. And maybe we all have different views on that. But I think it's certainly the most competitive league in Europe. And you can have those times where bottom beats top, quite literally. Um, so it's a harder league to win than any of the others, which might explain. I mean, if you're if you're applying your trade in Spain and you're not one of the top three teams I think we bring Atletico into that now more um certainly in France I mean PSG where does their competition come from in the French league and in Italy I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a bit more now with you know Napoli and Atalanta um, it's made it a bit more interesting with the Milan teams and Juventus but I just think that it's still not as broad I think it's still a little bit more predictable. You can predict the teams that you know are going to be in the bottom half. Those are around about mid-table. And then the the kind of two or three battling it out for the title. And then the couple that are around that, it seems to be in the Bundesliga. Certainly in, in La Liga, tends to be the same kind of clubs. I know you could argue that, well, right now we've got the same two clubs. Well, this is what I mean. Title, but you've still got your... <laughs> no, no, no. But you've still got... You've got your heavyweights battling at Arsenal. Tottenham, Manchester United, then you throw in a West Ham. There are, there are a couple of other curveballs that are coming out of nowhere. I don't know if you have that elsewhere, do you? I don't know. Uh, it, it, the Italian league, and, and Mina's better place to say about this, I do think that's got more interesting in recent seasons. But um, I actually think I, the quality has gone down recently. I mean, I, I like the fact that there's competition, but I almost feel like it's a competition to be the winner of mediocrity at the moment. That's why there is competition. Whereas it's almost like, let's say Bayern lose a notch or two and then they start competing with Dortmund. It's not because Dortmund just closed the gap. It's because <laughs> Bayern Munich would have lost something. And that's how I feel with Italy. And you see Milan beating like Juventus and Inter and doing these astonishing things. But then they can't get points against the very bottom. Mm. Does that make mm. Serie A interesting? Because mm. the cho- the bottom is beating the top right now? I don't know. I just think on a... Uh, uh, what I do think with the Premier League is that the top six are so much better than everything else, or I would definitely say the top three are. Um, I'm not sure about Chelsea if Brentford is coming into this. <laughs> but, mm. like, but I also think there's obviously a lot more investment in the Premier League, and it is de- certainly harder because of the marathon. But I felt that way, same way about La Liga too. It's so much harder for Barcelona and Real Madrid to have to stick it out every single week um, and to try to compete with each other from the pressures around that. But still, it's Europe. It's different tactics. It's champions from any league. It's it's Messi and Mbappe, and you know what I mean. You're you're facing. I don't know. I wonder whether... Okay, let me ask you this question. Ten years ago, what would have been? The Premier League or Champions League? Champions League, I think. I think it's, mm. I think it's changed now. I really do. So it's the strength of the Premier League that makes it now a little bit more desirable than it is to win the Champions League, perhaps. I also think it's team. I mean, we mentioned Liverpool, but I actually think it's the opposite for Manchester City. They want to win the Champions League above anything else. Mm. Um, I just think in this, in this situation they both have a different priority. What I think 
will happen is they'll both win the thing that they always win. I think that, <laughs> I think Liverpool will win the Champions League and I think City will probably win the Premier League. And therefore, everything is just completely predictable, <laughs> not the unpredictability that I was predicting. Um, crazy, isn't it? Because Klopp's Liverpool haven't beaten Pep City at the Etihad in the Premier League. I didn't realise that. They have in the Champions League, however, so they maybe they can draw from their Champions League experiences and bring it into Sunday. And I do very much still think, my opinion is, whoever wins this one will go on to win the title. I think I think this is it. I think it is a case of very much when, when it, it takes, takes it all. Do you, do you both agree? Yeah, I think this is the step. I I don't necessarily think it's winner takes all. I think that City can't lose this. So I think if City draw, then they keep that advantage and they'll go on and win all the others probably. Um, And I think if Liverpool win, then it suddenly shakes up the fact that they've had this huge gap that they had to make up. They will then overtake. I think mentally that will do a lot for, for Liverpool in a title race. So I think Liverpool winning could signal something is about to change. It could could be going in a different direction, the title. I've always thought from start to finish it was going to be City this season. I do think it could be really close, but I think they could draw this game and still go on and then and then win. But I always wondered what would happen if it was the other way around, you know, like as in you always have teams that are very good at leading and teams that are very good at chasing. And True. I wondered how mm. how it would work on a psycholog- from a psychological point of view. If it was Liverpool that was at the top and City was chasing them, you know, who who's better at handling the pressure? Who's better at um, making it a tight race? Because I feel like Liverpool really do like to chase you and hunt yeah. you down. It, it brings something to them. Whereas I wonder whether, whether Pep's Manchester City would be a team that could chase you and be as effective as Liverpool have been in trying to close that gap and overtake. Prior to 2020, I think Liverpool weren't comfortable leaders I think I think if they'd have seen over in their rear view mirror Pep's Manchester City coming up fast approaching I think it would have rocked them but I do think that that 2020 season they secured the title the earliest title win ever Mm. seven games to go and they had one of the biggest leads 25 Mm. points I think that did so much for them Mm. to know where they can go to where where they can reflect upon in title races as to that experience to get you over the line and um and I think it made them into something a bit different that season so as much as I was saying about it being behind closed doors and having the asterisks next to it I do think as well that it shaped Liverpool for now Mm. that season Mm. massively do you know what? There's so much we can discuss about this game on Sunday. And I'm sure we'll dissect it next week as well when we're, we're back for the podcast. But let, let's move on. We've got plenty more to talk about. We still want to get stuck into the World Cup and the draw. So coming up next, we're going to make Mina talk all about the World Cup draw for Qatar 2022. So last week, it was the World Cup draw with everyone getting very excited about what the group stage of Qatar 2022 might hold in store, except for Italian football fans. That is, yeah, Mina, 
Did you even watch the draw? I mean, Jermaine Genus was 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 hosting. Does it get more exciting than? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh God, that is a that's brilliant. Um, I did watch the draw because I was interested, obviously, in who England were going to get, and just wanted to see if there was going to be anything near to a group of death, and also because our friend Samantha Johnson was also hosting, yeah. so it was great to see her on there. But, um. Yeah, it's it's a little bit sad that the, it's another World Cup draw and another time when we're not part of the party. So what can I say? It's, it, it's funny because I was discussing this, you know, with a lot of Italian football fans. Would you take, to, you know, a 12 year absence potentially? In, you know, I mean, it's been so long. It's eight years that we haven't been to the World Cup. Right. But and until we wait to the next one, we're talking about 12 years. Do you mind that as long as you have the Euro trophy or would you prefer to be present in all of them and maybe just, you know, just do well? I think present in all of them, because if you're a player of that generation and you're mm. in your, your, I don't know, say your mid-20s coming up for mid-30s, you might not have a chance to play in a World Cup ever. Yes, there's the Euros. Yes, you're winning trophies. But if you're playing at the top level for Italy, you're going to be winning trophies with your club side potentially as well. So you're you're used to kind of succeeding, lifting some kind of silverware, no matter where it is, you know, whether you're playing in, in Serie A, whether you're playing in the Premier League or wherever. But I think mm. to play for your country and to win a cap and do so on the biggest stage of all, I just think you'd be absolutely devastated not to not win a World Cup. I'm sure everybody would, you know. But just to not be there. Just to not be there and experience it. I just think it's very, very different from the Euros. And I hate to make this even worse, but when you talk about knockout stages that gap in World Cups could be 20 years, couldn't it? (gasps) Yeah, if you're counting it, um, yeah, you're right. The last knockout games for Italy is huge. But, I mean, again, the last knockouts, you know, the title was won, the Euros was won. Like, as in, to be honest with you, as like, you know, as fans of of like Italian football, we've been kind of spoiled, you know. Um, Mm. In my lifetime, I've seen them raise the World Cup trophy. I've seen them raise the Euro uh, Yeah, see, I would swap. I'm just hearing you talking and I'd swap it. I'll swap it now. That's what I was wondering. What what would you do if you have that chance? And then, but also not being part of the party for a few times, you know? Oh, no, that's fine because you've had the party. You've had the biggest party. party. (laughs) I I think I've got Scotland fan mentality that just being at a tournament. Yeah, we can't can't include you in this, Hayley, honestly. (laughs) But I think that's my mentality, why I'm thinking just playing at a World Cup. Don't even care if we, like, lose the whole group. We're just there to to have a good laugh. We're never going to win the Euros. That ain't going to happen until maybe 30-something or other. Yeah. Okay. So you're still doing better than us, Mina. You're still doing better than us. It's really annoying that once you reach a stage where you are invited to be part of the World Cup squad and follow your team around and to not have that opportunity because they don't qualify because Jorginho missed a couple of penalties. Yeah. Uh, You just think to yourself, like, I've worked so hard to go to this one thing that I care about the most, you know? And I'm not, I'm not getting there, but not because of me, but because unfortunately that the team that you're supporting or you want to follow isn't doing as well as you expected. So from a personal point of view as a fan, it's devastating. It's devastating as a journalist as well. And also for me, because it's in Qatar and I actually speak Arabic fluently, that was like going to be an extra thing that I could do that would have been interesting and cover two different audiences. And I just feel like it was all just taken away from you. You can still do that. You can still offer those services. I still think you should have been doing the World Cup draw. I was quite surprised they didn't come knocking. You need a better agent, Mina. <laughs> yeah, you need Jermaine Genus's agent. I need Jermaine Genus's agent. Yep. <laughs> um, 
I want to I want to ask a question about the dissection of Italy before we move on to a mm. bit more about the drawer itself. One of the things that I've noticed is that Italy have been calling on English talent a lot more. This obviously started with Conte bringing quite a lot of players over and it, it's carried on. It's something that we, I certainly when I was watching Italia 90 and, and things like that, you know, you, you'd, you'd only hear about the odd player that would ever go over to Italy, whereas it seems like it's more common now. Is that reflective of the youth systems in Italy not producing as much at the moment that you're because you look at Tammy Abraham and he's gone over there and done brilliantly uh, for Kyoto Mori. There's just so many examples at the minute, and it's not just from England. They're taking a lot of players from other European countries as well, and I wonder what what that's about. Well, I mean, when we're talking about the highest importers of foreign talent, England is first, and second is Italy. And so obviously that's been taken quite badly by Italians because they're saying, you know, we're not even giving our youth a chance. Well, if, if that's the, how you're looking at it, neither is England. But they reached the semifinals of the World Cup and they reached the finals of the Euros. So, and they've got a brilliant team and brilliant youth coming through. Now, there was a lot of talk when Euro 2020 happened and they managed to lift the trophy of how we counted on our youngsters, how a, a man called Maurizio Vichidi had managed to work with Arrigo Saki to change the youth setup of the Italian national team, to create a, an under-15 squad, to have them face bigger challenges and, and ones where they will actually have to compete on a psychological level, on a physical level, on a tactical level, how to improve the techniques. And all the work that they had put in had been something that everyone's saying, well, this is what led to Euro 2020. It's Mancini being able to call up these youngsters. It's Mancini being able to see um, the likes of Barella at Inter, the likes of Locatelli at Juventus and Tonali at Milan, all these youngsters that everyone is looking at. And then all of a sudden, they don't qualify for the World Cup and we have the worst youth system in the world. So it's kind of like you can't go from thinking something's brilliant to something's bad. The, youth mm. pro the whole youth issue is an issue. Youngsters aren't always given a chance because unfortunately at the moment, when you're Milan and Juventus and you're trying to make it into the top four and to compete for the Champions League and to make money so that you can keep up with your Bayerns and Manchester Cities, you can't necessarily be like, hey, come on, join us. You know, let's give you a chance. You can make as many mistakes as you like. We can't afford mm. it. And so there mm. has to be a chat around the fact that right now there is a money problem in Serie A and their primary concern is to make it. And unfortunately, Italian players are very, very expensive. Now, what irks me about all of this is the fact that Tammy Abraham does choose to go to, to Roma. He does choose to take a different experience. When Jude Bellingham was scouted by Manchester United, he said, you know, I'm going to go to Borussia Dortmund because I'm going to play probably a lot more there. I'm going to actually have the chance to show off my skills. Whereas what do Italian youngsters say? It's okay, we'll go to the lower leagues. We'll just stick it out in Italy because I don't want to miss out on some pasta, you know? And so this is what <laughs> bothers me. Like, no one wants to take chances. You know, no one, Locatelli was being chased by everyone. It's like, no, I want Juventus. I get it, Juventus is a big club. You might play in the Champions League. But it'd be nice if a couple of them did choose Arsenal to try to broaden their horizons. At the end of the day, we had Panucci, Casano, Real Madrid. We had Gattuso go to Scotland. We had, at the time, players that were willing to at least go outside and see what it's like. Other than Matteo Damian, who went to Manchester United and didn't really do much there, who, who can you remember as being an Italian that's really moved ab abroad um, and done successfully? Because Ciro Immobile didn't do very well at Borussia Dortmund. He didn't do very well in La Liga and had to come back to Italy. 
But at least he tried. I mean, Skamaka at least went to PSV, and that's what the only player that we have in the national team who's tried his luck abroad and come back and shown us that he's learned a lot which is perhaps why everyone wants him to start. See, this is why you're on this show. We, it's not about the uh, imports. It, it's about the exports. Yeah. I think it is, personally. Just because yeah. when I, what I love about the fact that Tammy Abraham chose Roma is that, you know, right now, what Tamori is doing, and, and, you know, when everyone was talking about Harry Maguire, I'm like, this kid is sensational. Like, he has to be called up. And the fact that he I chose... I couldn't believe he wasn't. I yes, and he's and he's working with Paolo Maldini, one of the greatest defenders of all time. Like to take that opportunity to say, like Delift, to, who left Ajax, could have gone to Barcelona, could have gone anywhere. But as a defender, he chose to go to Italy because that's what he wanted to learn. Mm. But rather than if you're an attacker, I would choose to go to England and learn. But unfortunately, Italians aren't doing that because they would say, "Oh, I don't want to leave Italy. I don't want to leave my home. Oh, it's too difficult." You know, Mama's home cooking is just too good. <laughs> yeah. And so I you know, know what. Take the mother with you. Go on. <laughs> yes. it's the, the answer to everything. If you're lucky enough to have one, bring her along for the ride. I know, I know, I know. I mean, I, I mean, there is one example that sticks out to me. I mean, if you are a goalkeeper and your Scuffet was this goalkeeper for Udinese and he was traced by and tracked by um, Atletico Madrid and they were like, we'll do anything, but just come. And then he was like, you know what? I just don't want to leave Italy. If you mention the name Scuffet now, no one knows who he is because his career just didn't go to plan. But he had a chance to play for, for Atletico Madrid. He could have been where Jan or Black is right now. And wow. those kind of decisions is what irks me. But instead, the youngsters don't mm. say, we're not taking the opportunities. They're saying, well, Juventus is not letting us play in midfield. It's Juventus. They've got Ronaldo. They don't care about you. You know, and this was yeah. last season. And it, it just, it, this is what it is. I actually think it would be nicer if some of them tried, like the, you know, the Portuguese, where their league is not doing that well. They will go abroad. Bruno Fernandes, João Felix, Ronaldo, whoever it is. All they of will the Wolves go team. <laughs> All exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it is what it is. Yeah, well, I'm sorry you're not going to make it there, but I hope you as a as a journalist get to, to work on it, to follow it. As a fan, just, just enjoy it. Love the football. Um, I'll just be enjoying it as a fan. Probably not going to make it there uh, as as a Scotland fan. But here's hoping. I was watching that draw as if like, yep, that this is who we've drawn. I'm like, no, no, no. This is who we could potentially play if we managed. It's the it's the ifs, the potentialies, and the dreams. And I've already got it in my head that Scotland were already there. They were drawn. The worst. The one thing I didn't want was for Scotland and Wales to be in the same group as England because. I just love the fact that you've got all the hope. No. Well, we didn't lose against England at Wembley. Couldn't beat us then, could you? But just to be playing different opposition, to have the colour and the excitement of the different groups. And, oh, it's just, it just makes it very boring, doesn't it? In group B for boring. I'm not going to be I'm not going to joke Iran. too much because when mm-hmm. I saw the group, group B, mm-hmm. and it was Iran, oh. USA, or the other team in there. With you celebrated, Wales, didn't you, Lindsay? Well, no, you say that, Hayley, but actually I have huge memories of being in Los Angeles. Um, And this is the last time that England faced USA, 2010. And Mm. Rob Green with with his fumble. 
and me being the only person with an England shirt on in the States watching with this big crowd <laughs> and how how prior to it they started to try to school me about football and I went mental because Did I was they? like you yes they were like da 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 that started telling me something about how how you know they're all USA USA yes. they're gonna do well whatever we're in we're gonna do well and I went you do realise this is football and it's not your women's team it's football it's not your women's team and we are England and and surely we win this game can you imagine that conversation and then that happens with Rob Green and I'm just like oh my word Dempsey one of the stars of the Confederations Cup testing Green again oh what an error what an awful moment for Rob Green and for England presented Clint Dempsey with an American equaliser it brings back shivers actually okay. Hayley so okay. I'm not I'm not as confident as maybe others are okay I'm sorry about that there is kind of no real group of death there's some interesting groups and interesting head-to-heads but there's no group where you think oh my gosh a particular team is just you know absolutely ruined by this every group kind of looks slightly interestingly competitive and I watched just want to give a big shout out for Chrissy Hewton's Ghana I was absolutely delighted um, that Ghana are going to be there because I just think that is a, a brilliant story. I know it would have been great if Nigeria had have got there as as well, of course, both two really strong uh, African nations. But for and Chris then they Hutton, got Uruguay. I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, for goodness oh. sake. Some of the Ghana players um, that featured in the 2010 World Cup quarterfinals with Uruguay, of course, this is going back because they've drawn them before, say they still can't forgive Luis Suarez. There was that handball that cost them the victory. So they are out for revenge. So watch out on Ghana. But just very happy that Chris Hutton, who hasn't been in a job for quite some time, hasn't been considered for any of these big high-profile jobs. Well, guess what? He's taking a team to the World Cup. So suck on that, suckers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry, guys, but I am gonna, I'm just going to come in here for a second, yeah? Mm. Like, at the end of the day, I don't know what it is that you, you're really upset about. I get it. He did his hand. But you got a penalty and you missed the penalty. So really, it's not Suarez's fault anymore if you can't convert the penalty. So it, it's, it's not like Thierry Henry when he robbed the Republic of Ireland or the hand yeah. of God. I mean, that was clear robbery where there was just no opportunity mm-hmm. to try to do that. But you did get your opportunity and he got sent off. And you didn't convert that opportunity, so yeah. I'm sorry, Garnet. Get over it. Is it. A, get get over, over it, it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to mention something because this is going to be discussed a lot in the build-up to the World Cup with obviously England and possibly Wales and Scotland, of course, got to add that in there, being drawn in the same group as Iran and, and some of the human rights issues because it, there was a bit of a story circulating, and you can elaborate on this a little bit, Mina, about Italy potentially being able to play at the World Cup if Iran were booted out because there have been quite a few stories this week circulating about what's been happening with the World Cup. We heard Infantino saying, you know, this is a World Cup for everybody. Well, it's not if you're gay, you question FIFA, or if you're basically a female and you want to support Iran because um, just last week, dozens of of Iranian women were were stopped from entering a stadium to go and and and, and watch a football match. It was between Iran and and Lebanon. Um, it was a qualifying game, and they had already bought tickets. They were really keen to go, and unfortunately, um, they gathered in front of the stadium and and have alleged that the authorities used pepper spray to disperse them, and then were not let into the stadium. So already real trouble there, and you just kind of wonder what effect that is going to have on things and. 
are we just going to be discussing this forevermore until the World Cup? And I think Gareth Southgate, who is, I felt a bit sorry for Gareth when um, he was sort of attacked as, you know, someone that hadn't done enough reading about things and had wasn't intelligent enough to kind of uh, answer some of the questions that were put to him. He He came out and said, he is educated, he is educating himself, but right now he just wants to talk about the football side of things. On the the other hand, you could say, well, actually, by Iran being involved and the fact that the World Cup is being held in Qatar, we can actually highlight some of these issues that might have not been drawn to our attention. I would never have known about women in Iran being denied the opportunity to go and, and watch football, play football. I've heard of that, but it kind of does make you more aware of of a lot of the very complex human rights issues. What do you think, Nina? I have a pet peeve about something in this in this whole sense of like when people will have issue with the fact that Gareth Southgate won't speak about these things and will want to concentrate on the football. The problem is is that we're giving too many people a need to have to hear their voice on things that they might not be an expert on. And the problem is is that we have too many opinions as it is that it's drowning out the opinions of those that matter, the politicians who know the cases, whether it's the Iranians or or people who work there closely. I mean, we don't need to know what. Antonio Conte thinks about Russia's players' involvement or whether they should be banned or not, what Gareth Southgate thinks on, you know, geopolitics around the world and what is better or best not. Let the people who are at their, you know, who have a voice about something important and have the facts about something important have a voice. But I just don't agree with this. Everyone should educate themselves and everyone should talk about things all the time that they don't really know. No matter how much you do your reading, if you don't, if you don't understand this topic in inherently or have been there or have spoken to people, then I don't think that everyone should be given a chance to voice their opinion. Um, With Iran, unlike Saudi Arabia, there's, for example, two different countries, two Muslim countries. But when it comes to Iranians, they do not like their government a lot of the time. And they do want to go to football matches. They do want to be able to take off their cover and, and enjoy their freedoms. But for example, for Saudi Arabia, a lot of the women actually enjoy the fact that they, they, they get to wear and cover themselves up, even when it's been told that you don't have to anymore. So there are different outtakes on how this this develops and what matters to which country and which country is actually um, hurt by the government's decisions and which country actually doesn't care about it. But again, this is asking everyone to have an opinion on it. He's going to read a couple of articles and tell you and then everyone's going to be like, oh, oh Gareth Southgate said this. Why? Why do you ask him these questions? <laughs> like, let's just let's just get people talking about things that they know about in 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 further detail. But when it comes to Iran, obviously, Italians thought this was you know their way in because they're always looking for a loophole. Yeah, and it was reported in Italian media. I think it was Mediaset at the time had said, oh, you know, this is the second or third time that Iran has done this. So there's a precedent there and they're probably going to get kicked out because they didn't let um, female viewers into the stadium to watch the game. And that means because Italy has the highest coefficient points and highest ranking from all the teams that didn't make it into the World Cup, they would be able to go in. Um, obviously, that has been like a, it's a ridiculous claim. FIFA has come out and said that and said, even if it was to happen, which it isn't because Iran is in there. But even if we were to have knocked out Iran, we would choose a country from that federation. We're not going to just put in a country from another federation to replace Iran. Um, and obviously, Italians are still looking and it's still being reported <laughs> that there's a chance they could get back in. <laughs> like massive delusions. <laughs> Literally 
clutching at straws. Well, tell you what, we're going to move on because after the break, we go from the three lions to the seagulls. Now, the Athletic Women's Football Podcast is out now. Come have a listen. Lindsay, what have you got in store for us this week? We reflect on all of the weekend's matches, Hayley. We also hear from Rachel Laws, goalkeeper for Liverpool, who've been promoted to the WSL. So they'll be in the top flight of women's football next season. Uh, They've done that with a few games to spare. Uh, We also speak to Jess Carter from the England camp, um, just as the Lionesses have announced some bits. You know, Leah Williamson now is going to be captain for for Euro 2020. They've also named the deputies. Um, Yeah, we we got to speak to her about, about that and also... The upcoming Euros. So head to The Athletic and come and have a listen. Right, what is happening with Brighton? We just want to discuss Brighton because they're being very, what, Brighton at the moment. Lots of lovely approach play, but just one goal in their last seven games. How many shots have they had in that time? Over a hundred. That's right, 102 shots, resulting in just one goal. Now, their manager, Graham Potter, says part of the problem is the fans at the Amex. They need to stop shouting, shoot, when his players get near the penalty area. Oh, my goodness. Um, are we too impatient as fans? Do we just want to see shots, you know, ASAP? What do we think about the situation? And why do we think Brighton just can't score, Lindsay? It's like that seagull, isn't it, that just flies ahead it poops everywhere and occasionally one of them is right on target slap bang on your face mm. <laughs> well that was lovely that was well put or your, or your um, shoulder or your I can hand. imagine it that's the problem <laughs> mm. sorry they don't have enough finishers, Haley, and that's part of uh, the problem with Brighton's DNA for the last few seasons. In fact, I think you could go back to the the length that they've been in the Premier League. They've not really had a very good out-and-out striker. They have players that are, are capable of scoring five to six goals per season, but they don't really have anyone in the 15-plus category um, or enough that would score 10-plus in a season. So... That's that's the major issue. And it's something that has baffled me for a while because when you're a manager like Graham Potter and wanting to play the sorts of football that he's shown that he's he's willing to play, it doesn't work without good finishers. So you can have all of this entertaining football and a lovely way that we've, we've watched them play. They dominate possession sometimes, which is really unusual to see. Teams lower than the top six, you know, trying to do that. Um, they have a lot of good ball carriers. I'm a big fan of Trossard as a player in that respect. I think Pascal Gross is a, a good um, set-piece taker. So they've, they've got all of these little elements. I've thought that Cucciarella has been a brilliant addition. He's been doing the overlapping runs and providing another outlet from, from width. But to who? How many times have you watched Brighton put brilliant balls into the box and there isn't anyone there? They're not even making the correct run. They're not. The timing's not right. So there's a lot of what I would call fluffy play around the edge of the box, which is where the shouting from the fans comes in because they're so used to seeing that. They don't often get into the box. So when they see players 
having all this pretty play around the edge of it, they start shouting, shoot, I've been there when they've been doing it. And I can absolutely see why, because that is where they think their goals are going to have to come from. Um, apart from a few counter-attacking ones, I remember at Palace when Mope scored on the counter-attack really late on. But that's when everyone's caught out of position. And in the Premier League, on a game-to-game basis, that doesn't really happen. I mean, even, Mina, if you look at the, the World Cup qualifiers, I hate to bring up Italy again, but, you know, they had... 32 shots against North Macedonia, but didn't score. So you can be a team like Italy and have all of that possession and and play. But if you don't actually have anyone willing to try and put the ball in the back of the net, you are going to have the fans on your back. I've done that. Have we not all done that at the time when we've been watching our team? Attack, 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 attack. I guess it it depends (laughs) on a couple of things here. I mean... It can sometimes be the coach's fault. It can sometimes be on the fact that the the players are are so uh, bogged down in confidence that they're no longer relying on instinct and just going by instructions. And you need to have uh, you know that ability to also be instinctive and see an opportunity and take a shot. Um, what worries me here is because I don't obviously watch Brighton as much as I'll watch other 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 games, but do they have enough off the ball players? Because what it seems to be is they have a lot of sterile possession. And you need players who are very good with the ball, but you also need players who make the right runs and and are very good in in Mm. defining and seeing that space, having that spatial awareness capable of taking the ball and doing something with it. Um, And I wonder if the team has been built to have the balance of off the ball and on the ball players. But if you are saying that they're delivering crosses in to who, then then that would say that Graham Potter is not really designing the squad in a way or designing the strategy in a way that would help his players. Because if, if you're not delivering to anyone and those can easily be taken out, then maybe you need more penetration through the middle. Maybe you need to extract players from, you know, and, and make sure that they're not all tight cluster in the middle, actually take them out of position and then find a way through. Of course, if you're a very tight defence in Atletico Madrid and you've got Warriors back there, it's really difficult to penetrate. But I can't imagine that what what Brighton have faced in seven matches in a row hasn't been able to do anything to try to find a way through. So I wonder whether the team is badly built or he's not building the squad in a pragmatic way to find the right strategy to overcome these tight defences. I don't know. I think he's tried to do that. I think certainly he's flooded midfield. I mean, Lalana's introduction, and of course, when he's fit, um, he's he's been picking out the right balls. We've seen Solly March, who's got more advanced. And, I, I you know, I, I I sort of look at what he's trying to do. And I think that's why he gets so, me- so much credit, Mina, is I think people see what he's trying to achieve. I also think that that Graham Potter is a bit of a firefighter manager. He's at a club where he gets people picked out from his squad, taken on to other teams. We've seen Ben White go to Arsenal. and um, We've seen Dan Byrne go to, to Newcastle. And I think those are players, and I know that those in particular that I'm talking about, we're talking more defensively, right? But it's still an area where he has to then rebuild, get them yeah. to where they were. Yeah. And I think that's taken away some of his attention from potentially trying to solve the the dilemma of how he gets more goals. Um that does sound like a bit of an excuse I, and, and I don't want to keep putting that out there because there has to be a solution at some point. They have to try and get uh, someone who can finish off these chances and if not, then they need to then go down the route of what we were talking about earlier on in the show about having three or four players that can get you around 10. 
mm. rather than thinking of just that one out and out striker. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what he does certainly in, in, in the transfer window with regards to the attack, depending on, of course, where they, where they finish. They're completely safe. They're 13th. They're respectable. They might even finish in the top half of the table when you look at the teams around them. But there was a point when they were eighth in the table and, and they had this draw, didn't they, with Leeds and the fans were booing at uh, full time. And, and, and Potter said at the end of the game, uh, the fans are entitled to their opinions but I disagree with them. <laughs> he said, we are sitting eighth in the Premier League, but maybe I need a history lesson on this club. You can't really disagree with an opinion, can you? But he wanted to get his opinion across and let them know it probably wasn't very helpful. Um, so do we think Brighton are going to solve their, their problems this season, Mina? Or do you think it's going to be a bit of a reshuffle in, in the summer? Do they have the funds to do that? Do we even care? I think that the best thing that he can do right now is experiment because, I mean, you, you can just say, you know, they're not going to get demoted. Um, so just look for opportunities that you can experiment with what you have and figure out what it is that you lack so that you can come in fully prepared for the transfer market to hopefully bring in who it is that you need. At the end of last season, I remember speaking on a show and I'm not sure if it was this one, <laughs> uh, to say that I thought Brighton should try and get Mitrovic. Okay. What did Mitrovic do? He went down into the championship, has been I th- 37. He might even have more goals than that now. Is it 37, producer Charlie? Yeah, he's saying yes. Um, and I just think that they've they've had opportunities to try. They're never, in the position that they're in, they're never going to get real big signings. They'll, they'll, they'll have other clubs that beat them to it. But what they should be doing is trying to get the best goal scorers from the championship or best goal scorers from teams below them um, around lower leagues in Europe as well um we've had we've seen some of those punts work it needs one of those to happen I think right thanks ladies for getting stuck into those topics it's time now to look at some of the stories that might have escaped you uh we head into our any other business any other business still don't have a theme tune for that if anyone wants to help out please get in touch with us (laughs) at offside rule pod either on instagram twitter send me a message send me a little uh, tinkle we just, at the offside rule, of course, want to send... Don't be sending Hayley little tinkles. Yeah, that's like, what oh. I did. <laughs> I was like, did I not understand that? <laughs> you know what you're going to end up... Your DMs Crikey. Little we'll tinkles. Big tinkles. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was thinking, um, wait, hold on. Am I just dirty? You know <laughs> And then you were like, no, uh, Lindsay's just as dirty. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. for that, Lindsay. <laughs> oh, crikey. I wanted to chip in on any other business with something that I touched on early when you asked me about the Athletic Women's Football Show, Hayley. But the, mm. the fact that the captaincy has changed for the forthcoming Euros. So Arsenal defender Liam Williamson now is England captain for this summer. Um, Steph Horton hasn't played for England since February 2021. She's had a lot of injuries to deal with. Um, she has released her own statement saying yeah. she's hoping to be back for the Euros, um, but does understand that they need continuity going into the tournament and going forwards. Uh, Millie Bright will be the vice captain and Ellen White will be third, um, third choice. So that's an update from the Lionesses. 
I just want to give a little mention to Whisper TV Productions because I've noticed that they've been awarded the BBC contract for the production of um, UEFA Women's Euro 2022 tournament coming up this summer. And the production team will be 50% female. So I think um, great work being done by, by Whisper. So well done there. On a serious note, ladies, of course, everyone here at the Offside Rule wants to send our best wishes to Netherlands manager Louis van Gaal, who announced on Dutch TV, didn't he, on Monday, that he's been receiving treatment for prostate cancer. I actually loved him at Manchester United as a character, maybe not as a manager, and of course hosted that famous end of season awards where he went on a big rant on the stage. I thought he was absolutely brilliant, but really sad that he kept the news from his players during the recent international break because he said, I didn't want to tell it to my players because it could could have influenced their performances, he said. And a great Van Gaal quote picked out by Nick Miller at The Athletic. He said, the media likes me because I give honest answers. How many people in football give honest answers? I don't lie. Always the truth. OK, maybe my truth, but it is the truth. So there we go. Yeah, we wish him well in his uh, recovery, we hope, from prostate cancer. And I would be remiss to not add to the fact that while we are giving our best wishes to Van Gaal, also to Sinisa Mihailovic, who's the Bologna coach, he managed to battle and overcome leukemia, but unfortunately it's back. And so he wasn't on the touchline in their big match against Milan um, on, on Monday night. Um, but he sent a message from his hospital bed and it really fired up the charges and all the warriors of Bologna and they managed a nil-nil against Minan who is at the top of the table so wow. wishing him a speedy recovery as well. Mm. Yeah absolutely. Um, thank you very much for that. On that note we've ended on a bit of a somber note but I guess yeah, it's, it's, it's the reality of things isn't it and I think in life we just have to make sure you live every day. Um, my best friend's mum sadly passed away yesterday which was really really awful. Unfortunately the funeral is on Friday when I'm going to be up in Manchester, but it does make you think that you've got to live every day as, as as exciting as you possibly can, even when we're just at home, in the comfort of our own homes. Make sure you call your friends, call your family, keep in touch with as many people as you can, stay positive, listen to a few more podcasts if you can, and have some friends in your ears. And that's what we're hoping to do here at the Offside Rule Pod. We'll be with you every single week for a bit of football chat. Get involved, send us messages, feel part of the family, get on Twitter. If there's anything you want us to chat about as well, at Offside Rule Pod, feel free to send any one of us uh, a message. It's Lindsay Hooper. You're on Instagram and Twitter. I'm McQueen Haley because somebody was already Haley McQueen. Can you believe it? <laughs> I know. Another one of me. Goodness me. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. Andy. I don't want any little tinkles. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, neither do I. No contact. <laughs> and we will see you hopefully on next week's show. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at OffsideRulePodcast.com and by following at OffsideRulePod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Athletic. 